And if you would open your copy of the scriptures to Acts chapter 2. I suppose you can tell that I've got a little bit of a cold. Of course, anything that happens is always the youth pastor's fault, but he wasn't here. So um, it's Connie's fault. She was sick this week in the office, so I'm blaming it on her. So... um, Acts chapter uh, 2 beginning with verse 1 when the day of Pentecost arrived they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a f- uh, fire appeared to them and rested on each each one of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven and at this, uh, this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language and they were amazed and astonished saying are not all these who are speaking Galileans and how is it that we hear each of us in its own native language Parmethians and Medes and Elamites residents of Mesopotamia Judea, Cappadocia Pontus and Asia, Pergia and uh, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own lang- in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we live now in the age of the Spirit, where the Spirit now lives in us. Father, I pray that he would be our teacher, that he would instruct us in his word, and that uh, we, as a result, and as a result of him working our lives, would become more like Jesus and more dependent and trusting in Him. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I've told you uh, at different times about uh, Brent Robinson, who was my resident assistant in college, and how he led me to Christ. Uh, Brent was charismatic in his theology. And so I went to church with Brent and uh, I adopted a charismatic uh, theology as well as I did not um, I didn't know the Bible I did I was doing what Brent did uh, so um, it may be kind of difficult for you to see me being a charismatic um, but uh, I was wholeheartedly uh, charismatic in my theology um, and my personality is not given to such but I was willing to be whatever God called me to be 
Um, and often it is, it's very tempting to put our personal preference in front of Scripture. And let me just uh, exhort you, always, always look at Scripture and subordinate, suborn your, your uh, personal preference to the Scriptures. Well, I have not remained charismatic in my theology, and uh, it was a result of studying the Scriptures. But there was one thing that happened that... Um, Helped me to to start that down that path of studying the scripture. I was at a, a Christian rock concert. I don't know if any of you remember this uh, group called David and the Giants, but they were a Christian rock concert, and so I went to this concert on one Friday night. And um, as I was sitting there. Uh, one of the things they did, because it was a, a rock concert, they had a drum solo. And so the drum soloist played, and, and, and as he went, he played faster and faster and faster. And I looked over beside me, and there was a lady who had her hands lifted up to the Lord. And it just struck me. This is a drum solo. And then I looked at her again, and she was really tense and shaking. And as the drum solo got faster and faster, she got more and more tense. And finally, as he hit his crescendo, she, she fell out in the aisle, slain in the spirit. And I thought, that is not of God. She is filling up her emotions, having a very emotional experience rather than worshiping the Lord. With a drum solo... And so um, I began to to um, look at the scriptures and try and figure all this out because I was a brand new Christian. And so the um, and I started looking at the whole issue of tongues. And so in the the most um, uh, lengthy teaching on tongues in the scripture is First uh, Corinthians chapter twelve through chapter fourteen. And so I started reading that, and then I realized that what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's actually rebuking the Corinthians for their misuse of tongues, for their excesses. Rather than instructing them in the proper use, he, he's rebuking them. So um, I saw that, and then I also started, uh, I read some books on charismatic theology. Uh, one, uh, The Charismatics by John MacArthur. Um, it's a pretty straightforward book, and I think he covers most of the issues. One that I found even more helpful, because it's so short, um, the Baptism and Fullness of the Holy Spirit by John Stott. And... Um, I believe both of those are in print. Um, you're welcome to borrow them uh, for myself. Uh, the most helpful one I left at home because I was carrying it around all week, and that was Perspectives on Pentecost by Richard Gaffin. Um, it's only about 80 pages, but it's by far the most difficult to read. It's... it's um, um, it, it deals with redemptive... Um, redemptive history rather than the, the specifics of uh, charismatic theology, but I found it to be very helpful.
The reason why I'm holding up these books is I'm not going to preach a sermon against charismatic theology. I'm going to preach the text. But I know it's such a personal subject uh, to some who, uh, like myself, were were uh, in a charismatic church at one point or have relatives who were in a, uh, more of a charismatic church. And I felt like it was important to mention uh, a couple of these books. The question that I really want to begin to dwell on is what is the significance of Pentecost? Well, Pentecost is actually an Old Testament uh, festival. And um, the word Pentecost means 50th. And it was the festival of the first fruits of the grain harvest. Uh, if you're reading through the... Um, through the um, the Old Testament uh, in the book of uh, Leviticus, and uh, you might find the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks is Pentecost, so uh, that's that's what it's, it's talking about. And it began the the. the you would start with the first offer, with offering of the uh, first barley sheaf during Passover, and then 50 days later, it ended uh, or with the uh, wheat harvest. The feast of it was called the feast of weeks because there were seven weeks plus one day, which is interesting to me because what it's saying is that um, uh, the, it started on the Sabbath and 49 uh, days or 7 Sabbaths plus 1 day is what day? It's Sunday which um, even in the Old Testament helped the church transition over from the 7th day as the Sabbath to the, to the first day as being the Lord's Day a lot of people mention or, or think of Pentecost as being the birthday of the church. In fact, I'm sure I've said that at different times. But as I was thinking about it this week, it's really too simple a view. Um, as a, a covenantal theologian, and if you don't understand this, um, I'm not going to take a lot of time to explain it, except to say I believe that the the Old Testament nation of Israel was the Old Testament church, and we are now uh, living in the New Testament church. So to say that the birthday of the church uh, was Pentecost, um, I don't think is completely accurate. So what is Pentecost? Well, it is uh, the beginning of a new era. If you look at chapter 2, verse 17, uh, the Apostle Peter is explaining to the people what's happening. And he quotes from the book of Joel, and he says, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. So it's a new era. He's saying here that it is the last days that there was a transition from 
the previous days into the last days, uh, Christians have, um, I think, made a mistake by looking at the last days as being a future last days. But Peter is saying the last days began here at Pentecost. In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit. And so what Christians have done is they say, well, there's a last days of the last days, but you have no evidence of this. It just talks of the last days. In Hebrews chapter 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In other words, in the previous era. But in these last days, when he wrote, when the writer of Hebrews wrote the book of Hebrews, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And so the Old Testament, I mean, the. The New Testament Christians, the early Christians, they believed themselves to be living in the last days. And what it's saying, what I believe is happening here is the old covenant is coming to an end. The new covenant has started and this new covenant is the last days. It is the, the last era, if you will. I don't have this in my notes and watch me not be able to put my finger right on it. Um, but in, I, I believe it's Hebrews chapter 8. Yeah, just uh, verse 13. You don't need to turn there. But as he talks about new covenant promises, he says, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And so he's saying the old covenant has become obsolete because of Jesus. And so we live in the new covenant. And this new covenant is the last days. And so it is a new era. It's an era of the Spirit. Uh, The prophesying and speaking in tongues are just visible signs that we have moved into the new era of the Spirit. There's a lot here in in, in this passage about speaking in tongues and prophesying. But all of the emphasis is on the fact that the Holy Spirit has been poured out. We make a mistake when we put all the emphasis on speaking in tongues because it was only a visible sign that we have moved into the era of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in the Old Testament. Make no mistake about it. But the Old Testament prophesies a new era. Ezekiel 36, an era where God will take away our heart of stone, give us a heart of flesh, where He'll pour out His Spirit on all people. The difference here is not in quality. God's not changing from not having the Holy Spirit to giving us the Holy Spirit, but rather it's a difference of quantity. The Holy Spirit is more powerfully and more universally given to the church. And we can see the evidence of the power of the Spirit because in God preached um, to the Israelites year in, year out. 
if you think of the ten, the ten plagues in Egypt as a, a different sermon saying to the Israelites, trust in God. As he brings them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, as that being a sermon, as him giving them manna and quail, as him giving them water from the rock, as each one of these is sermons. They are unbelieving. They are rebellious. But then we come to Acts chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit is poured out. Peter stands up and preaches just one sermon. And we'll see next week that as a result of preaching one sermon, 3,000 people came to know the Lord. And then he stood up and preached again a few days later. And another 2,000 came to know the Lord. We live in the air of the Spirit. Whereas the Israelites were hardened. These, now these Israelites who were just as hardened are now coming to Christ in droves. And not only is there a new power, but the Spirit also leads the church. We're going to look in the book of Acts. We'll see in Acts chapter 8 where the Spirit of God is moving and directing uh, the evangelist Philip here, there, in different places. Uh, We'll see in Acts chapter 10 where the Holy Spirit is leading Peter. Go to Cornelius' house and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. We see in Acts chapter 16 where the Holy Spirit is, is appealing to Paul to go to Macedonia. He's leading the church. So we live in the era of the Spirit. We also, Pentecost is an era of transition. God is um, directing His attention away from the nation of Israel. And He is directing His attention to the Gentiles. And and God goes on to tell us that we are the true Israel. People, the true children of Abraham are, are believers. And the Holy Spirit's purpose, or His focus, is spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations. Uh, so, for instance, we saw Jesus telling them in regard to the baptism of the Holy Spirit verse, in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, uh, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And what is this baptism going to lead them to do? Verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. He is His purpose is to lift up Jesus by having His church proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations and peoples. And so there's this transition from Israel to the nations. There's also a transition from blessing to judgment. In uh, Luke chapter 3, when... when, when John the Baptist was preaching, he would uh, warn the Israelites that his preaching would lead and his baptism would lead 
uh, to coming judgment that that his baptism was a forerunner of Christ's baptism with the Holy Spirit. So you read in chapter three, uh, verses sixteen and seventeen. Um, John answered them all when they were coming and questioning him about his baptism. I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to cleanse his threshing threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. He told them that the, the axe was at the root of the tree God's judgment was at hand and the Holy Spirit coming and filling those Christians on the on the day of Pentecost on the one hand showed us God's blessing on the other hand it was a very clear prophecy that his judgment was on the way. And so Peter says this in Acts chapter 2 verses 19 and following as he's explaining what's happening here on the day of Pentecost. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, fire, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes that great and magnificent day it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved but those who do not call upon the name of the Lord will be destroyed under God's judgment so there's an era a transition from blessing to judgment upon the nation of Israel there's also a, a transition from shadow to reality the physical blessings that the Israelites put so much uh, stock in the, 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 the land and the borders the, the the physical blessings all pointed to the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. I want to move to the last point. And uh, I want to ask, or the next to the last point, what is the unique and, unrepe- and unrepeatable regarding Pentecost? Well, Pentecost was unique in that there was the sound of this rushing wind in verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house while they were sitting. This doesn't happen every time someone becomes a believer. This was a, a unique event. We don't read of its equal in scripture. Also, there was this appearance of the tongues of fire. I don't really know what that is. Um, We don't know what it is. The commentators don't know what it is. They speculate what it is. The reason they are having to speculate is because they have not seen it. It is one of those unique, unrepeatable um, signs that that accompanied uh, Pentecost. Then there was this gift of tongues. And we read about it in verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now we have evidence in the New Testament that... um, that people uh, did speak in tongues. Um, 
but we don't see it as a normal part of the Christian life. I heard uh, someone uh, say one time that uh, churches that are more sound in their theology and more committed to theology are less likely to... um, to have this phenomenon of speaking in tongues, uh, but one thing that I want to know, I want you to notice here in verses five and six. Uh, it says there was a dwelling in Jerusalem devout, uh, there Jews devout men from every nation under heaven, and that sound. At this sound, the multitude came together in this, this loud, rushing wind, and they were bewildered. Each one was hearing them speak in his own language. This, this tongues uh, phenomenon, it was not something they were trying to, get, to conjure up. It was something that simply happened uh, to them. Uh, when I was in the charismatic church, um, there was one lady in particular that you would go and visit and, and she would try and help you to speak in tongues and she would instruct you in how to do this. Um, well, there was none of that. You get the idea they weren't expecting this. And all of a sudden they were speaking with this gift of tongues. And this tongues was not an ecstatic, unknown language. Rather, it was a known language. In fact, it says in verses uh, 5 and 6 that each person who were gathered, these people gathered from all over the world were able to understand what was being said. So it was a known language. It was also a visible sign that Jesus is the Messiah. And to uh, the Jews, it was also a visible sign that God is angry, that that um, this judgment, this baptism of the Spirit that uh, John the Baptist had proclaimed is coming to pass. Do people speak in tongues today? I'm not going to try and answer that question because we'd have to go back and look at um, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Um, My position is that tongues is a known language as we see here. Uh, If you read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 carefully, there's no... um, no um, evidence that it is an ecstatic unknown language or language of angels or something like that. Uh, I've heard missionaries who say that they've been to, when they go on to a new field uh, where the gospel's never been preached before uh, amongst the people uh, who do not... um, know Christ or have heard about him that God has given those missionaries the gifts. I've heard those stories. Um, it's certainly um, not the case in every for every missionary otherwise we would not have the Wycliffe Bible translators. Uh, but um, um, I'm willing to, to say that maybe um, this has happened with missionaries but um, in terms of an ongoing prayer language, like I said, I do not hold that view. Our denomination does not hold that view. And I would refer you to the books to look at that. Um, these, these books that I held up uh, can answer those questions, I think, even much better than I. So I think that there is a unique and unrepeatable aspects regarding 
Pentecost, I believe there's also normative and ongoing aspects regarding Pentecost. First of all, there is this indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, uh, Peter promises them... Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He makes that promise. He doesn't say some of you. He says all of you who repent uh, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every believer who trusts in Jesus Christ The Holy Spirit indwells you from the youngest child who trusts in Jesus Christ to the oldest and weakest who trusts in Jesus Christ. You have God Almighty, the infinite, eternal, unchangeable God living in your soul. And I was thinking about this, and I have, um, I wanted to prove this in an unusual way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 through 20, the scripture says, But if the unbeliever, the unbelieving partner separates, I'm sorry, it would be helpful if I was in chapter 6 instead of verse chapter 7. Um, it says, um, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? And he's talking about um, having... Um, sexual relations with a prostitute or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her for as for as it is written the two shall become one flesh but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him flee from sexual immorality every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have whom you have from God you are not your own for you were bought with a price so glorify God with your body and his point here is that if you commit if you are a believer and the Holy Spirit is living in you and you go out and hire a prostitute and have um, a relations with her that the Holy Spirit is living in you and your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit doesn't leave he's saying you you are joining the the temple of the Holy Spirit with a prostitute believer regardless of your sins if you trust in Jesus Christ and you belong to Him. The Holy Spirit is in you. He does not leave you. He does not forsake you. He makes His home in your soul. And He will be there regardless. And He will take you into heaven. He doesn't get angry and leave. He is there. See, and... And so He indwells us 
But there's something else called the filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in fact, we have it here in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we have this idea of the filling of the Holy Spirit all the way through the book of Acts. Um, In Acts chapter 4, verse 8, there's the filling of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, the entire church was filled with the Holy Spirit. But a few verses earlier, it it suggests that they were not. But at the end of their prayer, the the place where they were and everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. In um, Acts chapter 6, they chose certain people to be uh, deacons. And their criterion was these were men who were filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, there were some people who in the church who, although the Holy Spirit dwelt in them, was not filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 13, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 um, says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but here it is a command, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. In other words, there is the indwelling of the Spirit. He never leaves us. He makes us home in our soul. There's the filling of the Holy Spirit that involves the control and empowering of the Spirit. When you are walking in the Spirit, when you are filled with Him, you live under His direction. You have His guidance. Um, you know, when I when I am most free in my life is when I am living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it just it's love God and do what you want. Because what I want is to be guided by Him and to follow His Word. And also there's this power source that I have in my life that I typically don't have. And God has promised to give us this. You become more than an overcomer. You become bold in your witness. There are so many in the Christian life who, although the Holy Spirit lives inside them, live defeated Christian lives and act as if they don't have power and don't have power. They are missing the filling of the Holy Spirit. I want to conclude with this story. It's a little bit trite, but it makes the point. There was a man who was going on a cruise. He had been saving for years and years. That was his dream, to go on a cruise. And he spent all of his savings on the cruise to the point that he knew that he would not have money to afford the expensive meals. Uh, that uh, other people would be um, other people would be able to afford as they went on the cruise. So what he did was he uh, made himself all these peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, put them in bags, put them in a little um, in a little um, uh, uh, tote and, and, and snuck them on board. And every time people would go to the meal and go out to eat he would uh, sneak back to his room and eat some of his peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Well, those of you who've been on cruise know what I'm about to say. At the end of the cruise, um, as he was talking to one of the attendants, um, he found out 
looked at all the meals on the cruise, all these lavish meals were included in the price of the ticket. So many Christians are eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, are not pursuing um, Christ for, for everything that He offers, are not pursuing His promises. In our, in our Sunday school this morning for the third through fifth graders, we were talking about this with the, uh, the widow who um, sent her children out to gather as many pots as, she could, as they could find. And the oil from this little jar kept pouring into these great big pots for as many jars as they had. If they had only collected one jar, she would have only gotten one jar of oil. But they went out and they collected all the jars they could find and they were able to pay off all of their debts. God promises us His Holy Spirit. We live in the era of His Holy Spirit. He wants us to live in the power of His Spirit. He promises us that we will be more than overcomers through His Spirit. And so, I want to urge you as we come to the Lord's table this morning, make it your prayer Ask God to give you His Spirit. Ask God to help you pursue Him. To persistently pursue Him. And He will pour out His Spirit into your life. He is not stingy. It's just that we don't hold our hands open to receiving. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you that we live here in an era where your Spirit has been outpoured without measure and you have promised to give your Spirit to us without measure. That you will give us everything we need and even more so, even more than we could ask or imagine. Father, I ask that you would help us to pursue you and um, to, to, to follow uh, hard after you. Father, help us not to be deterred to the right or to the left. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.